Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to do story building the novella. This is day one, the introduction, and we're going to talk about plotting and how you get started um, working on a project and the genesis of it. And then later in the week, we're going to discuss your central theme and um, your idea and your central theme. We're going to do profiles. We're going to go over goals, motivation, and conflict at GMC. And then we're going to do a mini plot. And so by the end of the week, by the 15th, you should have a mini plot document to write a novella with. I think this is especially helpful for those of you who are thinking about July. Um, this challenge, specifically in July, is designed around the novella. The word count for April is a minimum of 30K, which is also technically a novella. Um, most people, I mean, I would say I would love between 20 and 45K, personally. Um, you get over 50, you're looking at a, a novel length. Um, I think under 20 is probably a short story. That's just my personal. Um, most publishers have their own scale. You just got to figure out what their scale is if you're looking at you know, like professionally publishing um, what they have, what they consider a novella or um, a short story or, and most publishers don't really look at short stories too much. Um, unless they're just doing short story publications. Uh, but when you look at like big print publishers in New York, most of the time they're looking at novellas to put together into an anthology and they range between 20 and 30 K ish. So but um, my goal um, for this workshop is to come out of it with probably a twenty-five play, a twenty-five k plot. Which twenty-five is the maximum for July, right? Um, yes, but I'm not plotting for July. I'm going to plot something original. Okay. I have an idea for a series of novellas, um, a science fiction series. Uh, so I'm going to work on the first one and see what I come up with. But the decisions that you make today are like um, your genre. Um, what kind of story are you writing? Is it going to be science fiction? Is it going to be contemporary? Is it going to be fantasy? Um, are you going to do fan fiction? Are you going to do original fiction? What, um, what characters are you going to use? Is it going to be, I mean, just the, these are the decisions you have to make. Are you writing a romance are you writing um, a pure science fiction? Are you writing a pure fantasy novel with romantic elements? Is your romance a main plot or a subplot? And these kinds of decisions you make up front as much as possible. You mind later on in the process, but you need somewhere to start. And this is where I start. Jillian? Yes? Where do you start? Um... Basically, there. I mean, tomorrow we're going to be. Uh, so I, tomorrow we're hitting the central theme, theme and central idea. central idea, and I usually am on that almost first. Um, but I definitely need to know what kind of story I want to tell. So yeah, picking the the genre to me, I don't usually sit down and go, "Okay, I'm going to write this genre," because um, that usually extends for me out of what kind of story do I want to tell, and then I figure out which genre works best for that kind of story, which may sound a little bit backward, but it's just kind of the way my brain works. Um, so if I if I if I know like I want to write a romance, that's very broad. If I want to write um, like a friends to lovers kind of thing, or if I want to write something that's just um, 
like overcoming, you know, good overcoming evil. Um, so I tend to really gravitate more towards picking themes based on things based upon the kind of theme I want to write. And when I don't start there, I often wind up flailing for the central theme. So I usually start with the with the theme and figure out exactly what kind of story I'm trying to, what, what's my hook? And then I sit down and go, well, what kinds of genres could I put that hook into? Do I want to write a shifter story? Do I want to write a soulmate story? Um, would that be better in fantasy? Um, so that's kind of, it's a little bit maybe reverse engineering it, but that's the way it works for me. It's where I get the most inspiration from. Well, it's important to figure out how the process works best for you and work with it and try not to shove yourself in somebody else's box. Um, and I had, I, I think I learned that the hard way. Um, I, I spent a lot of time trying to make other people's processes work for me. And eventually I learned just to take parts that worked for me and just throw away the parts that didn't so that I could create um, a process of my own. And so, and that's really basically what, like all of you to do is to look at various processes and various um, methods of story creation and find the one that works best for you. And obviously this, this workshop is for plotters. Um, that's just what it is because I don't know what a pantser would get out of a workshop like this. Although I think that, the people I know who I find to be the most effective at their pantsing are the ones who at least do some of this stuff. They know what their central idea is and what their thematic elements are. Um, they know what, um, they know what kind of, what their genre is. They, they pick up, they do their character works. I mean, yes, there are some that just sit down with no idea what they're going to do. Um, but the, a lot of times those are the same people who have 50 works in progress, right? And what happens is a lot of times they stall out on what is the point, what I call what is the point of your story, and that's the theme, right? Right. Um, it's because if you don't know what you're driving toward, it can be a little too meandering, and eventually you kind of, your interest will fizzle. So, um, so for people who... I have over 100 works in progress. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, but you finish stuff, right? I mean, I have 100 works in progress, yeah. too, but you still finish stuff. You, you, you will get to an idea, and you will work on it, finish it. But it's like I was discussing um, back when, back before my, I really stopped reading many works in progress. There was somebody who had a lot of works in this, like, one pairing or one fandom I really wanted to read. And um, I noticed one day that they had, like, 50 works in progress, 50 plus, and one completed work. And this was this was back then. And so somebody recommended one of their stories to me, uh, maybe a few months ago. And I said, I don't read them at all. And I said, why not? And I said, because they just keep generating new works in progress and never finishing anything, like never finishing anything. And it's obvious to me from her pants and her, her writing style, like she hits this critical point where she's going to have to make some decisions about what the point of her story is. It's like all set up. And then she moves on to something else. And to me, that's kind of a hallmark of somebody that I'm pretty sure is a pantser because somebody who's plotted something would know what's happening after the setup, right? She yeah. gets the setup and then never goes yeah, further. I, mean, um, I know it down the road. Right. So, I mean, there are some people who just figure that stuff out really intuitively along the way, but if that's not your skill set, you know, you, you've got it with your pants. You're crippling yeah. yourself. If you're, if you're a pantser and you don't have that skill of being able to kind of just work extemporaneously and just 
make those decisions on the fly, then you've got to figure out a way to kind of fill in for where you're where you're weak, basically. All writers have to do this. They have to shore up their weak spots. And for some pantsers, it might be, you know, that they start off great, then they fizzle. Well, you got to figure out why you fizzle. And it could be because of things like not understanding the point of your story. Because if you don't have that, if you don't know what kind of story you're telling, if you don't know if you're overcoming the monster or if you are doing the journey and or the journey in return, if you don't know what kind of story you're telling, you're going to fizzle every single time. So that's why it's important even if you're a pantser, that you figure out what of these elements you can use to help shore up your process. So, um, I don't know. Anyway, for me... I think think it's important to know what you enjoy writing. Like, I really enjoy Friends to Lovers. It's one of my, it's my favorite thing. I mean, and knowing this about me um, allows me to shape my ideas around themes that I enjoy so the writing doesn't become a chore i enjoy overcoming the monster as well but there are a lot that i'm like yeah i'm not really on board the quest that's not like the least important part to me in the hobbit was the quest i was like "Eh." (laughs) i was more interested in their relationships and their friendships and um their group dynamics than i were than i than them actually getting there Okay, fine. There's a dragon over there. Okay, cool. You know, there's a monster. Too great, fantastic. But that wasn't what really drew me into the Lord of the Rings movies either. It wasn't about overcoming the monster for me, or the journey, or or the return and the return and the return and the return. Because you can have twenty. Um, it was about their friendships and and at its base. Lord of the Rings is about how much bullshit Samwise Gamgee is willing to put up with because he loves Frodo Baggins. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Lord of the Rings is a lot of different types of story, honestly. That's, it's part mm-hmm. of the reasons why it feels so much less focused than The Hobbit. Um, Lord of the Rings is the, it is the quest, it is the journey and the return. It is, it, it is in its way, it's definitely overcoming, you know, overcome good, overcoming evil or overcoming the monster or defeating the monster, depending upon how you view those tropes. It is, so it's a lot of those things. Um, POV is everything. Right. Uh, and for some people, you know, they see they, they're more they're more focused. And part of that is the POV of the reader, too, right? Which which element sticks out to you? But I do think that it's a little bit has a little bit too many thematic elements, which is why it's got 50 endings. Whereas the it Hobbit does, I mean, it's like just ridiculous. had the right. Whereas the Hobbit just had the one ending, a tragic ending, but it was, you know, it was an ending. A single ending. It was a terrible, terrible ending. Though he did kind of give himself a second ending when he let Bilbo go home and, you know, kick out all the other hobbits that were living in his in his hobbit hole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will never not be amused by saying the words hobbit hole. I am an immature 13-year-old <laughs> boy. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> okay. Oh. 
thank you for that. I appreciate that, Sima, because I had not, I had not gone gone there, and now I will I will forever go there. Congratulations, um, for fuck's sake. So going into this week, um, as we're getting ready to plot, and um, this is a workshop, so play along, do the you know do the, uh, do the thing, do the work. Just, just see how, you know, just see how you feel about it at the end. I'm not suggesting if you've never plotted to try to plot one of your rough trade projects because that might ruin it for you. Um, but if you're a plotter, then do that. If you're not a plotter and you're kind of new to this process and you want to try it out, don't do it with something that you want to write this year because you might ruin it for yourself. Does that make sense? Because I have, um, there have been moments in, in my, um, in my time as a writer, where I have overplotted, that I still write out of writing something. So there is, I mean, there's a line even for me, someone who's zero drafts, there's a line where, okay, I'm done. I've, I've already written this. So, so why bother? Um, but for some people, that line is actually like just short of the start line. And you won't know where your line is until you've experimented with it. But you don't want to do that with stories that you want to write this year for Rough Trade because then you'll just disappoint yourself. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, because my average zero draft is between, I don't know, I mean, I guess depending on what I want to do as far as length of a project, anywhere from three to 8,000 words is my actual plot document, which Julie has convinced me is a zero draft. <laughs> I mean, some people zero draft. I mean, there's a lot of different. I think there's a lot of different ways to zero draft. There's so much detail in there about like the GMC, like the emotional journey, emotional context. You know what's going on. It's not just action, and because of that, it's not just plot points, right? Because it's right. not just plot points. Because there's more to it than that. Um, I, to me, it seems like it falls more into the heading of a zero draft than than just you know. A plot. I accept it. Yeah, but I mean, I've seen people zero draft just by doing nothing but their dialogue, right? Like, they just slam in all their dialogue and then go write everything else later. You know, I mean, it, what it is, is I, you, basically the zero draft is the beginning, your all, the whole journey of your story in a, in a fashion that is not fit for consumption. It's not really readable. <laughs> I, I mean, that's basically the different, difference between a first draft and a zero draft. First, zero draft is not really readable and understandable by anybody who's not you. I'm trying to think if mine really works that way, because I think that my zero draft is pretty understandable. I mean, yeah, but it's not She's really... like, no, it isn't. <laughs> no, it's... it's un... I mean, I've, I've read your zero, some of your zero drafts. They're understandable, but it's not, like... It, it's not fiction at that point, right? It's... No. It's it's more of a... It's more of a... It's more of a guideline, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's more of a guideline, really. Um, so no, so somebody mentioned something about I thought it just flew by about maybe trying to plot something that's five k. So we're the structure of a novella, a plot for something that's five k is way different than something that's twenty five k. It's different than something that's a novel. It's different than something that's an epic. So the structure we're going to be talking about is the kind of structure for a novella. Um, but if you are a pantser and or you're not a you're not a plotter and this doesn't make you comfortable trying to you can do the parts that you are comfortable with because you know can you pick can you pick if you know ask yourself I'm not a plotter but can I pick my genre 
Yeah, probably. Could you pick your central idea or central theme? And we'll explain more about what those are tomorrow. But could you pick that in advance? And you could look at, instead of trying to look at this as an exercise in plotting, you learning how to plot, maybe look at it as an exercise in looking into what aspects of plotting are things you could do. You know, and what, as a writer. Huh? And what makes sense for you as a writer and what doesn't. Right. I mean, some people could not zero draft if their life depended on it because it would ruin the story for them. And some would probably sit down to start a zero draft and end up writing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like plot point one. And the next thing you know, you've written the whole chapter. <laughs> oh, wait. That's not a plot point. That's chapter one. <laughs> and that's I, perfectly okay. Yeah. And I'm very, when I'm, when I'm plotting, I'm very a plot point driven plotter which sometimes bites me in the butt so I'll, you know there there's advantages and disadvantages regardless of which way you plot right um some people will have a plot plotting process that's way too long now my plotting process is a little minimal little on the minimal side it's not super minimal but it's a little minimal and i'm very focused on plot points and the difference between plot points and anything else in your plot is plot points are effectively the critical path it's what has to happen for the next thing to happen so it's not every, not everything that happens in a scene is a plot point. A plot point is the thing that happens that has to occur before the next thing can occur. So you may put a lot of plot elements into a scene, but the plot point, and there may be more than one, is the thing that must occur before the next critical thing can occur. So if you're like traveling... A major plot point in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire would be Harry Potter's name coming out of the Goblet of Fire. That right. is a plot point. There are a lot of elements around it. Harry's denial, Dumbledore's really weird anger in the movie, his underreaction in the book. It, there yeah. was no in-between. Um, the other champions responding um, to it. Those are all elements around the central plot point of Harry Potter's name coming out of the Goblet of Fire. So when sometimes it's easier if you're if you're a little bit of a muddle about what are the plot points, it's sometimes it's easier to figure them out in reverse. Because if you look at um that plot point, that critical plot point, which is very critical of Harry's name coming out, because it is the plot point that a lot hinges on. Well, what has to happen before that in order for that to occur? Well, I mean, one of the one thing that's pretty obvious, the other schools have to show up, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. I mean, it's not the actual immediately prior plot point, but it is a prior plot point to that point. The schools have to arrive. The tournament has to be announced, you know? And Moody has of fire literally has to be put in the Great Hall. Right. So, um, those, so plot, those are when you're, I tend to be very plot point focused in my plotting, which is this has to happen and then this has to happen and this has to happen. And I don't necessarily sit down and write it out that way at first. I'm more like looking at it and going, okay, this is where I want my characters to be. What has to occur for me to get them there? And then I figure out what the plot points are to get them from where my story is starting to where I want them to be. And that's, you know, I, Kira described my plotting. The first time we plotted together, she described my plotting style as sea mountain, climb mountain. <laughs> and, and that is, that is very much the way I, I focus on it. So, um, and sometimes where that you bites went, me. like mechanical on me, so I didn't actually hear what you said. 
I said you said that my plotting style was like sea mountain climb mountain. Oh, <laughs> she's like a marine. Sea hill take hill. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and that is that's kind of is very how I'm focused. It's like okay, there it is. I'm gonna come. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get. That's where I want to go. And and this is where I'm gonna start. And now that I know those two things, what has to occur from A to B? And that is very plot point driven in the in the which is. A little bit of possibly a strange style evolution, considering I'm a character-driven writer. But like I said, but it every- serves you. Yeah, it serves me, and that's the point: is everybody's process serves them. Now, whereas I will lay out my events, um, I have my goal. I, I usually have my beginning and my end, and then everything in between is a mystery until I sit down to start um, like layering all my elements together. Um, before I go in to do a zero draft, I've already done my character profile. I've done my my cloud plotting, so I I have my themes. I know what my central idea is. Um, I've I mean I've I've really kind of put it all together, like in my head, and sometimes written on paper. And um, then when it comes to doing the actual uh, zero draft, I I do number because numbering is really beneficial to me, especially like I've already printed it out and I can like make notes and say, okay, go look at plot eight, plot point 86 for this, you know? So it's really easy to, it's, it's better to number them than not. I've, I've found out over the years because whenever I don't number them and I do like a little star or a little dash, it comes back to bite me on the ass. So I number them, but in those numbers, I often put a mixture of events and GMC. So my character is in this scene. This is how he's responding. This is how people are responding to him. Um, and sometimes um, I'll have several of those little points in a single scene. And sometimes a single point is two or three scenes. And that's like, that's just, that, that's just how my brain works. So you got to figure out how your brain works and what works best for you when it comes to creating your, um, your plot document. And yes, there are sometimes in, uh, moments in my zero draft where I have written something that would make absolutely no sense to anybody else but me. Yeah. And, and the thing about a plot document is the shorter the story is, the less I need to know, honestly. Because if I'm writing 10K... I probably need like to know three things to get started on that. Maybe four outside of my character work. Right. I need to know what kind of story I'm telling. I need to know where I'm going. I need to know where I'm starting. And I probably need to at least if if for 10 K, I probably need to have an obstacle in there. That's it. That's all I need to get down for to, to, to get started on something that I'm anticipating to be at 10 K. Weirdly, you double the word count. You'd go to 20 K you don't double the number of pieces of information I need. It's more like, you know, times 10, maybe times 20. And then you go to double that again, you go to, you know, 40K. And all of a sudden, instead of needing, you know, 10 or 20 pieces of information, I need 40 or 50 pieces of information. And it just keeps, and then you start adding in, because then you get it to novels and you've got subplots and potentially multiple subplots if you've got like an epic and then you have world building. And so the information. Character list. Right. So it gets to be, and if I'm going to sit down and write 5K, I could sit down and do that without doing any plotting. I just go, okay, I want to tell this story. Just sit down and write. Um, The way I plot for April and November is different from how I plot for July. When I plot for July, I usually plot a three arc structure, a three act structure, um, because it's just it's 
that's my short that's my short story format. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a three act structure. This is what happens in the beginning. This is their middle, and this is how they end. Yeah, when, when I'm plotting an, like an episode arc, um, it's event and consequences. Each episode is an event, consequences of that event. And when with Sentinels of Atlantis, they build. But I would consider the episodes in Sentinels of Atlantis a short story versus a novella, except for the ones you know that are on the end, like the novella that started it and the novel that finished season one. But really, in my mind, um, the search, which is the last um, ep- episode of um, Sentinels of Atlantis season one, is like my three-part series finale <laughs> <laughs> or season finale. It's my three-part. <laughs> it's three three parts. <laughs> last time <laughs> on Stargate, <laughs> I probably should have done that in the middle. Of- last time on Stargate, just. Anyways, that's what that was. Although it still bothers me now that it doesn't have chapters in it. But at the time, I'm sure I had a very good reason for it. I just don't honestly remember what it was. Maybe because none of the other ones. And I had some weird OCD meltdown. I don't know. There's no explaining it. Sometimes we don't know why we do the things we do in retrospect. And I don't personally keep a log of my why I did that. Some things I remember no. are very vividly, right? Like I sit down to write and something went awry. And I go, oh, hmm. I didn't think that out through. I got to have to do this differently. And usually that is involved in a, like a major change or a replot or something like that. <laughs> There's no explaining well, it. Yeah, I mean, my plot document is a plan and no plan you know survives engagement <laughs> that's right it just doesn't <laughs> and it doesn't matter and you, you honestly can't avoid that i know there are some people that it makes them really anxious to change a, their plan honestly if you're unless you're going to stick to five to ten k for the rest of your writing time you're going to have to figure out how to deal with that because it happened i don't care how good your planning is i do not care how good your planning is. I don't care if you storyboarded this story for two years, and please don't. But you right. are that your plan is not going to survive engagement with the enemy, and the enemy in this case is the writing process. It just doesn't. You have to leave room, I think. For um, well, I did a, a thing. I, I I wrote a little essay about um, you know, inspire about inspiration, um, the inspiration habit, and it it's it's important. Obviously, I think it was Plato, Picasso. Picasso said the inspiration has to find you working. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that process is that when you are a plotter like myself, when inspiration finds me working, it often finds me working on something that I have already plotted. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> that's not really what I had planned, brain. But okay, that's a better idea. So I had to go in and fix it. And so leaving yourself room for that kind of inspiration and that kind of creativity for me is integral to my process. It, I don't want to turn my back on that kind of inspiration, right? Right. It's and just, a lot of times we plot things we don't write. Now, I know for people who are struggling to learn to plot or who plot every single, who write every single thing they plot, I know that can sound like a strange idea, but I have plotted way more things, way more things. And sometimes I kind of half plot it. Like I'll just write, sketch out my notes and where the story would be going and what my ideas are for it. 
and it's just kind of like a loose plot summary kind of thing. Sometimes I'll just give myself like three or four paragraphs of what the idea is. And then I never do anything with it. Now, I know to some people that is just like an alien concept, but there are other people who are like, yeah, yeah, I've re- I have more, way more ideas than I will ever even begin to attempt to write. But here's the thing. Because that's done, because I wrote those notes or whatever, um, sometimes full-on plotted something, if the idea ever inspires me again, if I ever have that moment where I go, remember that I had this idea. I remember I took some notes. It's in this. I can go and just start working on it. I can go refresh my memory on my my plot notes, flesh it out a little bit more and get going. Um, Boom. It's there. It's ready for me if I ever want it. It's never wasted effort. Um, And also, I learn something in every plot process. I learn more in the writing process often. I learn um, a great deal from my failures when it comes to plotting and when it comes to writing. Um, I learn what works for me and what doesn't work for me. And often you don't learn what works for you until you've done it. And more often than not, you don't even realize what won't work for you until you try it. Uh, I like my biggest personal failure on rough trade. I think to date is probably synthetic. I made the wrong choice. I had a choice between two projects for that particular. That was the new world. um, Challenge, right? A whole new world. Yeah. Yeah. And not a single day. One of you wrote in, I'm just saying. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I had two ideas and I plotted them both. I have zero drafts for them both. And one was synthetic and the other one was um, one that I had tentatively called Rocket Man about a story where John Shepard um, works for NASA and Rodney McKay works at the um, International Space um, station um under the uh control of europe of united europe and it's like a it's an au obviously um it's set in the future and john is on a mission and he's um um, his mission gets sabotaged and um unbeknownst to him that the person at nasa is being fed information it's going to get him killed and mckay is listening and he interrupts them and takes over communication with Shepard and says, if you listen to this woman, she's going to get you killed. It's not her fault. I don't think she knows what she's talking about, but she's going to get you killed and you need to listen to me. And he does. And he saves John and he eventually catches him um, in his escape pod um, on the space station that he's running called Atlantis. Anyways, I wrote them both and I picked synthetic and it was the biggest mistake. I applauded them both. Because synthetic... I went too far off the reservation and synthetic as an idea um, is is really intriguing to me, but it would be better served with original characters. Whereas even looking back on it, I can see that I tailored rocket man around John Shepard looking back on it. I mean, it's just like, okay, yeah, that is just like, that's basically a love song to John Shepard. Why didn't I write that? So hindsight. And sometimes you do, and you trip and you fall on your face and you go, I just wish it hadn't been in public. <laughs> yeah, right? Why does that have to be a rough trade one, right? Um, sometimes you do that, you, you fall on your face and you go, okay. Um, oh, someone said to me that they enjoyed synthetic and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I actually enjoy what I wrote as synthetic too. I'm not saying the writing itself is bad. I'm saying that the idea wasn't being 
because I actually I weren't I was writing original characters with fandom names. That's not John and Rodney. That's two original characters with John and Rodney's names. I went too far off the reservation. And I find Shazadek really interesting. It's just I mean, it all depends upon how you a story hits you. Um, it probably didn't help that you had your characters in a completely original environment. And mm-hmm. that was the challenge, right? It wasn't that whole new world? Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a little bit of similar struggle with the whole new world in the terms of, you know, how do I keep these characters? Because we had the option. We, had, we, had, we gave two options for whole new world. You could go into a whole original environment or put your characters in another fandom. And the thing is, I think that there's something about putting your fandom characters in another fandom that somehow makes them feel more familiar. So, like, yeah. when I read um, Sunriders, Fate Protects Fools, uh, Small Children Ships Named Valor, um, it feels like those canon characters, it feels like the canon characters of NCIS, even though they're in the Federation and they're working on a starship. It's not a parody. It's not the characters are not caricatures, but they still feel familiar, and yet they're in a whole different environment. But there's something about I don't know what it is. There's something about the whole different environment, way in the future, that it's it it can make. And I struggled with this too, although I wasn't in the future. I was just in a you know alternate shifter you know shifter world. Um, it can feel like. Am I edging too much towards, you know, like you said, original characters with with fandom names on them? And I think it was easier for me to try to keep some, you know, some vibe of the canon characters because they were not also in the future. In you know, having gone through the whole synthetic thing, and I mean, it was just such a it was it was easier as long as I could keep kind of like their contemporary environment. To hold on to them yeah. a little bit. And I think, man, my other idea was to set them down in, um, and I've done it before, but it kind of fell apart of me because of the Sentinel issue. Um, to set maybe John down um, as like a cop in some AU, because well, you, know, you know he's a cop in the Vegas AU that's actually canon. Um, so it would be interesting to do that, but again, live and learn. I mean, you do, you learn more about yourself as a writer, honest, for, to me, honestly, when I screw up, I learn more about myself as a writer than I do when it goes perfectly. Or, I, you know, I feel like I'm better for the time. It's not that it's not painful. It's not that you're sitting there going, oh, Jesus, I cannot believe this. My biggest flop in public actually was on a Leomoto, um, in my opinion. But it should have been almost invisible to the audience, I hope, except that I did talk about it, which was that <laughs> my plot, the way I'd plotted it, most of what I plotted never appeared in the story. So the last chapter that basically that appeared, the ritual, right? The ritual where Tom is gets the negative magic purge and they find out who he really is, okay? The, the prologue was the prologue I wrote. Chapter one was that ritual. <laughs> oh honey <laughs> yeah that's what I plotted so now if you haven't read a Leomoto this won't make, won't make any sense to you but there's a whole story in the execution 
what happened was I put the prologue up and then I sat down to write and start working on an info dump about everything that had happened up to that ritual. And I went, I set my start at the wrong place (laughs) because the prologue is the time traveling back in time. I find it's often Mm -hmm. hard to do time travel where you don't have a prologue. Um, But anyway, sometimes you can, but often you use a prologue for me more often than most stories. If there's time travel involved, I've got a prologue and it's before they go back in time anyway. And sometimes I do a chapter one that probably really should be called a prologue, but I'm like, vehemently opposed to prologues and all the time I'm like fuck you no I'm not writing one chapter one stick <laughs> <laughs> a date on that motherfucker it, it's done but so I wrote I wrote this prologue and then I put it up I posted it and I went and I start working on the next chapter and I went oh no this isn't working this isn't working and so there's like a two or three day gap I think between mm-hmm. the prologue going up at chapter one and it's because I had to plot <laughs> A whole new story. Like I said, so it was my biggest much, flop. Like, it's like what? Like what? Eighty k? Uh, I want to say it's closer to like, like sixty k, but I'm actually not a hundred percent sure how long that story is. But you know, this actually does speak to your ability to think on your feet and to also plot on the fly. Um, because if that had been me, I'd have been like, oh, okay. because I have my plot document finish for finding Atlantis a month out from that challenge. Yeah, it's 60k. 60. So you had basically what you had like three or four K. Yeah, in in the prologue. And then that scene um is about five where I had planned to start the story is about five K before the end. So but you're talking about 50k is what I plotted on the fly. (laughs) So Having a process that you can um, depend on is really beneficial in a circumstance like this. If you have to plot in order to write, if you feel more comfortable as a writer when you have a plan, which is a, which is my circumstance, I always feel better when I have a plan, especially when it's a novel links issue. I need a plan. I'm not. I'm. I mean, I can. I. I have done it. Um, where I plotted basically in my head. Um, like, Birth of the Serpent King was plotted entirely in my head. But I wrote that story continuously for a couple of weeks before I broke my foot. And then I was just, like, stuck. And I'm like, fuck it. And I wrote it. But it was all in my head. Which isn't the same thing I've, I've learned as pantsing. Because I always thought that's what pantsing was. That you guys just thought about it for a long time and then wrote it. And then y'all had really good memories. <laughs> But some of y'all heifers sit down with a blank page and you don't even know who's going to be in it. Yeah, we have heard from some pantsers that they can't participate in rough trade because they have to pick their pairing. They have to pick their fandom ahead of time. And they and can't do that. They, they can't. They, that stifles them too much to be able to participate because they, they don't pick what fandom they're going to write until they sit down and write. And I'm like, huh. Okay. I mean, I have to have a fandom on your title for organization, y'all. I'm not saying. That if you signed up for a rough trade and you contacted me the day before and said, I don't think I can write in that fandom. I need to change my fandom that I wouldn't do it. I'm just saying I don't want to do it for 80 people. (laughs) Yeah. And that's just like people, you know, bitchy about the deadline. Honestly, I have never turned down anybody who contacted me after the deadline for signups and asked if they could participate in rough trade. I've never said no to them. 
Although I have encouraged her to say no to a few people who have contacted her after the deadline and said they wanted to participate and she let them in and they submitted a project file and then they never participated. Right. So when they did it again, I said, don't say no to that heifer. Don't say yes to that heifer. <laughs> Tell them no. <laughs> but I don't say no. She doesn't Unless say no. you're just a dick. Because she's nicer than I am, actually, in that regard. I'd be like, hell no. And there were even a couple people last time who ended up submitting their project files the day before Rep Trade began. And I still worked with them because I'm not an asshole. I'm not that kind of asshole. That's because she's trying to get people. She's trying to create a safe space for writers. And if you want to write, Kira's going to make try to do her best to let that happen for you. So, but... You know, with a Leo mode, I will say that I did replot on the fly, but I had done the world building. I knew the things that had happened back then. I just had not decided to put them all on screen. I was going to reference them as needed. So I had a lot of information already, and it was a matter of what pieces of this this information that I've got do I want to zoom in on? And I did make some changes because there were things I had not planned on having in the story that when I was trying to flesh out, I was like, well, you know, I need to, I need to do this thing, you know, um, I'm going to bring this, I'm going to bring in an original character here, you know, that I hadn't planned on before because I need another character. And so, and the thing is that kind of thing, needing that character is something that often doesn't come up if you're not actually writing something. You don't know right. you need it if you don't write it. So like, I need somebody else in this space, but for me, in terms of, a, it wasn't a right, the, my biggest writing flop was actually visionary, but I had a traumatic brain injury. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that would count. <laughs> I mean, it only counts in the f failure of like, I didn't put much up, right? And I don't really remember what I did put up. But I mean, I had a couple of rough trade stumbles. But. Yeah. But sometimes you just wind up bowing out, right? It's like something goes wrong in your life. But that's more of a, it was a flop in terms of the execution just because I stopped participating. But Aliomoto was a real stumble in plotting for me, right? It's like I had a plot. It just wasn't the one um, It wasn't the one um, that I actually put up. It wasn't the story I wound up writing. <laughs> um, Visionary was the story where Harry is a seer, and he and Draco are, are taken from um, Hogwarts, um, right for the Goblet of Fire thing. Um, and uh, taken to kind of into a temporal bubble by Helga Hufflepuff, so Harry can learn to be a seer. Outside of synthetic, I think my biggest failure would probably be the shifter challenge, um, where I tried to mix. We talked. We talked this briefly the other night when we were doing the shifter podcast. Um, I tried to mix ABO and make it consensual, and I come across a psychological stumbling block for myself because um no you know the, no that's just no so i just uh, you know live and learn but that is one idea that i like to go back to i would like to go back to strip out the abo and really flesh it out because i really like the theron concept um but synthetic is a no-go completely because it's just it, i was telling the wrong story with the wrong characters or telling the right story with the wrong characters. Or yeah. Yeah. I mean Or both. It could be anything. I mean, this thing is is I really I agree with you that I think that that was better served to be original fiction. And I had mm -hmm. the same problem with the urban fantasy challenge. I I picked <laughs> I picked the story the that weirdly that I thought would be the least suited to original fiction and then 
I got to writing and I went, whoa, this is actually really well suited to original fiction. What am I doing? Mm -hmm. And I kind of stumbled because I actually was really liking it. I actually didn't want, I really wanted to write it as original fiction. I had that moment where I went, oh, I wish I was writing this as original fiction. And it just, it wound up being really disappointing to me. Um, but urban fantasy was also difficult in regards to, but you know, we learned sometimes some things through doing these challenges that sometimes with fandom, it can be really hard to change, you know, to, to do certain things with a different genre. Like um, if you're not a fantasy writer, a, a, a fantasy challenge could be like way, may not be something you even want to do. You may not like fantasy. You may just kind of double bird the Hobbit every time we talk about it. I mean, it just may not be your thing. And so a fantasy challenge, you may know is absolutely not suited to you, but sometimes you may not know that till you start doing it. And um, what I learned from Rough Trade is two things. One, while I am perfectly capable of writing in a single POV, I don't like it. <laughs> and two, I am a romance writer. Full stop. Now, I really like single POV, but I'm not surprised by that because I spent, I've probably done a good, a third, a good third of my writing in my entire life, fiction writing in first person point of view. Mm -hmm. um, and that's probably 1.5 million words or more, if not maybe 2 million words written in first person point of view. And so that is a first to me to me first person point of view is a single pov writing project i know that there's a thing people do alternating first person i double bird it every time i won't read it um i've read it like twice in my life that i liked it um but anyway so all this to say is that so you learn what kind of stories you want to tell. You learn the kind of writer you are. You learn what works for you as your process by, honestly, by having problems, by stumbling. You, if you, you challenge yourself um, and, and it doesn't work, you go, okay, that didn't work for me. You move on. And you've learned more about you there than you did if you wrote the same themes and tropes 50 times. Not that there's anything wrong with writing the same themes and tropes 50 times. But I will say, when I say you learn about the things that work for you and what kind of writer you are, if you are having a hard time finishing your stories, if you're having a hard time crossing the finish line, if you're having a hard time you know, getting there or getting past that first few pages, you haven't found what works for you yet. <laughs> Okay. And this is weird little thing is people tell you that they're diehard. This is what works for you, them. And yet they aren't able to finish anything. And I go, it's clearly not working for you, but they will be diehard. No, no, no. This process works for me. It obviously doesn't work for you. Otherwise you wouldn't be asking how you can get your stories finished or how you can get past these struggle hurdles you have, or it, your process isn't working for you. And it's really, I think, really important to be open to the idea that there are elements in your process that you need to shore up or that you need to work on. I'm open to that. I'm open to that. I mean, I, you know, I really enjoy reading Darkly Loyal. Um, I'm really proud of Darkly Loyal, um, even the body count, uh, which someone thought I was joking about that. So they they emailed me and asked me if I was joking about that. And I'm like, no, I'm totally serious. <laughs> That body count is legit. <laughs> I have an Excel spreadsheet well, to prove it. 
the body count the body count presented some interesting hurdles for you in Dark yeah. Oil. So it wasn't just it wasn't just having a story, a romantic story that had an epic body count. That's a hurdle in itself, right? How do you write a romance with a big body count? That feels very off brand for Harry Potter, but whatever. Um, and then there's the hurdle of you got all these people to kill, and eventually there's how many new ways you have to kill them. You're starting to go, this is exhausting killing all these people. And so you had to do things and figure things out you never had to figure out before. Like, ah, oh, I need some house elves who are murderous who are willing to throw the people. <laughs> into it's an actually my head canon that all house elves are murderous. They just don't have anybody giving them the right kind of instructions. Right. <laughs> So, I mean, it, it did present some plotting hurdles you've probably never encountered before. Um, the biggest one was having Harry find out information that he wasn't present to hear. Because I was restricted to a single POV. Um, when I often use side POVs to for, for world building and for... Um, and to further my plot. And I didn't have that option in Darkly Loyal. So I had to figure out devices... Um, and that's again the house elves came in very handy, um, you know, to eavesdrop and then eventually a portrait to kind of get information to Harry that he could use. So now Harry Potter is actually probably one of the easier fandoms to do single POV, and just because there are so many devices that you can use to get your POV character information, they're spying house elves there's pensives there's i mean there's so many ways there's you know for there's legitimacy or whatever there's so many ways for your your pov character to get information that is that would be a struggle in a contemporary fandom it doesn't mean it's still not a pain in the ass especially when you've got three main characters mm -hmm. and and that becomes the triad that right. triad relationship and keeping that um so that it didn't look like they were both there just to, for him was difficult to manage when I only had his POV. Yeah. I think I did okay. You did You did good. I mean, I, th I think it was more, it wasn't that you didn't do good, because you did. It was more your discomfort with it that I think was ever the issue. Yeah. You didn't want to be limited to that one POV. You're like, what was I thinking? Whereas I, I, or for me, I did that challenge and I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> I only have to do yeah, Lady Holder, Lady Holder, and Julie had a fan, fan fucking fastic time in um the the single POV challenge. <laughs> Meanwhile, I am I I I started to view those murder scenes as cathartic for me. Fuck Harry. <laughs> it's like I'm so freaking sick and tired of the single POV. Who all can I kill next? I'm gonna go make a, I'm gonna go make a murder database because I'm so irritated by the single POV. Um, but the thing is, if she had given another POV, she'd have had to give him two more. And that's one of the things about a triad is you get one POV or you get three. Right. That's just the way it goes. One or three. That's and know. then that story would have been ridiculous because I had I had all this plot, and really honestly, if I had planned for more than one POV, it would have been a very different story. Because otherwise, if I'd have kept the plot. And had all three POVs. That had been 300K. And I'm not writing a 300K story. It's bullshit. All right. Now, it's interesting. I, if I recall, we all did for the, you, me, and Lady Holder all did Harry Potter for the single POV challenge. Um, mm -hmm. she, she did uh, Restoration. And I did Slytherin Black. And I I loved it. I loved that I only had one POV because I could do all the, have all this stuff happen and just, and Sirius just gets a briefing at the end of the day. He's like, yeah, we found two of the horcruxes today. He's like, okay. Great. <laughs> Thanks. Fabulous. I'm like, I'm like, that's like 15K I didn't have to write. 
I had a scene recently that I wrote where I, I didn't have to write because my POV character, of which I have three in this particular story, um, neither one of the characters was going to be there. It, it, it wasn't feasible plot-wise for any of them to go to this particular place to do this particular thing. Um, and I was like, huh, I don't have to write it. <laughs> I was so pleased with myself. You're like, somebody, <laughs> one of my non-POV characters is handling this. This is amazing. <laughs> we'll just have to see the aftermath. This is fantastic. I love it. But otherwise, it'd have been too, I mean, it would have been a full chapter by itself. And I'm already. Or two, or sometimes three. It's I'm, like, ugh. I'm at 117K on my, um, no, 16K on my Quambang. But you know, if, if I have a project that's going to span 300, 400k, I'm going to do it in episodes or novellas because I don't want to have a project that large be a single novel. That's just ridiculous. The structure is is the structure. I don't want to play Django with my um no, with my plot. The structure. It's not just the structure. The structure is the beast because I my biggest is like 226. I think. Which is ridiculous. I'm just, I'm admitting that up front. Okay. It should have been three I stories. Think oil is that big. Yeah. Darkly Oil is big. I, I, I'm going to guess that Darkly Oil is 190, but they're in, definitely in the same ballpark, right? Two to three stories, realistically, it, it, normal stories. So the problem is, it's not just the execution, it's not just the moving parts of trying to keep 300K of plot, you know, balanced. It is the, Finishing on a story that big is impossible. It's just impossible. Finishing 100K is hard enough. But doing the editing, I mean, do you have any idea how long the Grammarly check on 300K would take? I'm, <laughs> I'm not even. You'd be dismissing yeah, unclear antecedents for a week. <laughs> I, I wish I could turn the fucking unclear antecedent off, but every once in a while that bitch is right. I know. I hate I that. Mean, not like... often enough for it to be useful, but every once in a while that bitch is right. It is an unclear antecedent. Um, Dracula Lowell is 181K. 604 pages. Yeah, I would turn off certain notifications if I could. And the one I would most want to turn off is unclear antecedent. And this is an unnecessary ellipsis because I double bird. Grammarly every time it tells me I have an unnecessary ellipsis because how does it know it's not necessary? Those are my ellipsis. Leave them alone. <laughs> that is a creative <laughs> choice. You ellipsis, cow. Ellipsis, ellipsis, singular, ellipses, plural. Both ellipses. It's an I E L I P S I S is singular. E L L I P S E S is plural. Yeah, that bitch tells me I'm wordy all the time, Dark. Anyways, I think that's um, pretty much um, all of our content for the actual uh, workshop podcast. Um, I want you guys to stay tuned. Um, where the hell is Chad? Um, I want you guys to stay tuned this week as we're going to you know, do some actual work. Tomorrow, come, come ready to uh, get your paper, get your pen, get your document, whatever you need. We're going to... Um, we're going to figure out our theme. We might do some cloud plotting if you're comfortable with that. Um, I'm going to do some plotting on the air. Maybe Jilly will as well. I haven't, I'm haven't. i not making a decision for her. It's up to her. Um, and so uh, we're just going to we're gonna do some actual work. Okay? So, so between now and then, think about things like 
because we're not going to stop for you to decide what your fandom is or if you're doing original. So think think through the basics. You don't have to pick your theme or anything like that, but think about your fandom, your pairing, make some decisions. Yet a day, ponder it. But don't like freak out over it. No, because you're not committing to anything. There's no homework. You don't have to write this story. It's an exercise. But if you have that, if, if you at least pick fandom or original, and if you at least pick which fandom, and you pick your pairing, you'll be like right at the point to get going tomorrow, which is where we start talking about the central idea and the main themes of the story. And if you haven't picked your fandom, because that can be really, if you're going to do fan fiction, it can really affect what you're doing right because some themes don't go real well with some fandoms but also like i said don't if you if you are not a plotter i am 100 percent recommending that you do not try to plot your rough trades for this year during this time because you don't want to ruin the ideas for you pick something else it's an exercise you know you don't you don't have to like the end product it's just it's just a thing it's just a thing so um we shall catch you later on this topic stay tuned tomorrow for the next podcast which is going to be um defining your theme and central idea i said and we'll work on it um but don't get all um don't get bit around the axle in the meantime say good night julie good night everyone